Good morning, CBF. It's now the fifth month that we are in where we are not able to meet together physically at WCOI. But even during this time, there's many things to be thankful for. There are many things to be thankful for. Um, for one, even though it's through technology, we are able to meet and worship our Lord together. Now, if I were uh, doing this in front of you, I would you would see the nervousness in me. But today I have the privilege of speaking to my phone instead of 200 pairs of eyes. Today I want to take you through a passage in 2 Peter that has encouraged as well as challenged me. And I hope that the Lord speaks to you as well. The passage is from 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 to 11. Peter is an interesting character in the Bible. He was very close to Jesus. He had his ups and downs as he walked with Jesus. And when Jesus rose again and then met Peter, he encouraged him. And not only that, he commanded Jesus to take care of his flock. You see Peter do that, do exactly that in both the letters that he writes. In 1 Peter, he encourages the believers to stand firm in the grace of God. And in the second letter that he writes, he encourages the same audience to not only stand firm in the grace of God, but also to grow in the grace of God, to continually grow in the grace of God. So let me read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers... Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, in the beginning, Peter introduces himself as both an apostle and a bondservant. He teaches with the authority that is given to an apostle. But first, he humbly introduces himself as a bond servant or a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this way he reaches out to his fellow believers in order to encourage them. Now, he doesn't tell the name of the church that he's writing to or the location over here. But we know from chapter 3 verse 1 that he's writing to the same audience to whom the first letter was written. Chapter 3 verse 1 he says that this is now the second letter that I am writing to you and both I am encouraging, uh, encouraging you by way of reminder. 
Now, Peter does say something about these believers here. He calls them as those who have received a faith of equal standing by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, this tells me two things. One, that all believers, be it an apostle or a common man who is now a believer of Christ, have all received a faith that is of equal standing. There is no difference between the faith that Peter had and the faith that any reader of this letter could have had. And the second point that Peter makes here is that the faith that we have all received is in fact not um, a return for the work that we have done. It is not a result of our works, but it is by the righteousness of Jesus Christ our Lord. Moving ahead, Peter then writes a blessing to his readers. He writes in verse 2, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Peter's desire is that grace and peace may abound, may, may be multiplied in their lives. But he doesn't just stop at that. He doesn't just say uh, that much. He emphasizes on this fact. He says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. Um, what he's saying is that as our knowledge of God increases, and this is true in our lives as well, as we know more of God, as we experience him more, his grace and peace is more abundantly available in our lives. This theme of the knowledge of God being essential is something that we will find throughout this letter of Second Peter. Right now he said that the knowledge of God is how grace and peace will be multiplied in our lives. Then we will see how the knowledge of God is essential or is the means by which we are led to life and godliness. Later on in the other chapters you will also see how the knowledge of God is essential to keep to be grounded in our faith, to not fall for false teaching, to not doubt in the promises of God or um, the gospel of Jesus itself. And he even ends the letter by encouraging that the readers or the believers there might grow in the grace and knowledge of God. So uh, next we move on to... Okay, so in the next two verses, you will see how Peter is building this relationship. He's building another relationship, that between the knowledge of God and eternal life and godliness. Okay, let me read those two verses, verse 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. You see at the beginning of this verse that God's divine power is the source, while our life and godliness is the goal of what Peter is going to say. He's saying that all things that are required for our life and godliness have been granted by God's divine power. Now, how does God's divine power grant to us all of these things? Peter answers that in the second part of verse 3. He goes on to say that it is by, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So Peter is saying, that God's divine power through the knowledge of God is able to or has given to us all things that are required for our life, eternal life and godliness.
Now, this knowledge that he refers to, this isn't just superficial knowledge or knowing the facts about God, but this is our study of scriptures where we get to know who God is and um, what he has given to us, followed by the Spirit of God transforming our lives. It involves our obedience to God's word and it involves us walking and as and as we uh, us walking with him and as we do that the spirit teaching us more about who he is and what the scriptures reveal to us as well so this isn't just the head knowledge that we have but this is god teaching us through his word now um, we are already seeing a pattern over here we've seen first that if we are to experience god's grace and peace abound in our lives then our knowledge of God must increase. Then we are seeing here that if we are to grow in godliness, then also our knowledge of God must increase. So isn't it a little ironic that many times when we desire to experience grace and peace in our lives, or we want to, we desire to grow in godliness, then God's, the knowledge of God is not the first thing. We would rather try everything else to experience grace and peace or we would try to um, attain godliness by hard work. But Peter is very clear over here. He says that the knowledge of God is essential or is central for God's divine power to work in our lives and to give us grace, peace and help us to move towards godliness. Now, um, let us keep in mind this theme of the knowledge of God leading to godliness because quite similar to that and you see you see this knowledge of God leading to God knowledge of God leading to godliness playing out in the next verse he says if the knowledge of God has been given that it might lead us to godliness then the, the then the promises of God have also been given with a very specific purpose the promises of God that are contained in this knowledge of God have been given with a specific purpose to do two things. It leads us away from the corruption of this world that exists because of our sinful desire. But it also moves us towards um, partaking of his divine nature or towards growing in the likeness of God. Just as... Now consider some of the promises that we have been given. Romans 6.14 says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Here's Peter's point. God has called us to himself and he has also granted to us promises which help us to escape our sinful desires and the corruption of this world. Here are a few questions that I would like to ask in, uh, I would like to ask of myself at this point. Do I really trust that God has given to me everything that is needed to lead a godly life? And that the knowledge of God is, a, is central to everything that he has given to us. And secondly, do I hold on to the promises of God in my daily battle against the corruption and the sinful desires that I have in me? Or do I try to battle them on my own? What we can gather from this 
from what Peter has told until now, is that we ought to come back to the scriptures daily to know more of God, to uh, to pray that uh, as we know more about him, that we are equipped more and more to fight these battles, to experience grace and mercy in our lives. Okay, so we've, we've seen what God has granted to us. First, we saw that we were granted a faith through the righteousness of God. Then we saw that we've also been granted everything that is required for a life of godliness, for life and godliness. So what then is an appropriate response? Peter talks about it in verses 5 to 7. Uh, let me read that for you. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Peter is saying, because we've been granted all that we saw earlier, we must now make every effort to apply faith and produce these qualities, that we must work hard. He says that we must work hard to supplement our faith, that is, through the faith that we've been given, we produce these qualities. And he lists seven of them. They are virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Now, I, I won't go into detail of each of these qualities, but I will say a few words that help us to define what these qualities are. Virtue here means goodness or excellent, moral excellence, one that makes a Christian stand out. Knowledge here refers to a true understanding of who God is and of his scriptures. Self-control. Well, we all know what self-control is. Um, and here's an interesting thing about self-control that I've realized. I thought I was a very self-controlled man um, until my kids were born. And since that day, I have realized every day how much I lack and how much hard work it is to really be self-controlled. And that's true of all of these qualities, that it requires hard work. Okay, after self-control, Peter lists steadfastness, which means endurance or patience. And that's followed by godliness, which is our devotion to God. Finally, he lists brotherly love, which is love for the believers. And then love, which is essentially love towards all men. Now, a few observations of how Peter has listed these qualities. Though at first it seems that they have been that they are progressive, as if to say that we move from one to another, having attained the first one completely. Um, like to, uh, as if to say that we first attain all of virtue and then move on to knowledge, and we attain all of knowledge and then move on to uh, self-control. But that's not how he's. Uh, described it or that's not how uh, we see it. We work at them at all times because there is no point in our lives here that we can say we have, uh, we have attained all of virtue or attained all of God's knowledge. No, we work at them continuously and we work at them together. And some of these qualities are also contained within one another. For example, if though love is listed at the end, without love, there would be no scope for self-control or there would be no brotherly love. Right? Now, if these qualities that Peter has listed and Peter in fact commands us to work hard for, 
if they seem like a tall task, let us also remember that, um, as we have seen earlier, this is something that God has already enabled us to do. Through the knowledge of God, God's divine power is active in our lives. So working hard or working or being diligent would mean that we pray for opportunities to exercise them. And as these opportunities present themselves to us, that we would remember and work hard at them to exercise what God has already enabled us to do. Okay, And as we do this, this is in fact an evidence of God's power working in our lives. So, so far we've seen two things. We've seen what God has granted to us and we've also seen what an appropriate response to that should be like. Now Peter here uh, comes to a point where he explains two possibilities in verses 8 and 9. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. First, on the positive side, Peter says that if these qualities are ours, and not only ours, but they are increasing, then we are, that is, we are being diligent, then we are being kept from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of God. The practicing of these qualities in our life is essentially a display of our lives being transformed by God's power. On the other side, if these qualities are absent and if we really aren't bothered about that at all, then it shows two things or it could mean two things. As a believer, though I trust in the Lord Jesus, I am living an utterly unfruitful life. I am living a life I am living a lost life where I have forgotten my identity in Christ. Or uh, to pull it to an extreme, it could, also, it could also show the condition of my heart that I am relying on a life experience that I have had before, but I really haven't trusted in God and, and therefore I haven't really ex- experienced a transformation of my own life. Either way, Peter is... Either way, Peter is saying that the person who lives as such has literally forgotten his identity in Christ. Now, when it comes to um, what an unfruitful life could be like, um, this is an example that I thought of and, um, and I hope that you can relate to it as well. Now, there are many times when you see this building, uh, buildings that are under construction and they are almost done. They are on, they are on the verge of being done. But for some reason, It stops and it is abandoned and it's not going to be completed at all. Now, when I look at such a building, for a moment, I'm sad because when you look at that building, you see potential. You see that it could have been a home for hundreds of families and yet it is going to be left abandoned. It is um, it is not going to serve its potential. rather, Right. So we, too, by God's divine power, have been given all potential that we have been given all ability to lead godly lives. So now are we to then lead lives that will not glorify God? Are we to lead lives that will not reach the potential of bringing glory to his name or living lives of godliness? Considering all of what we have seen, Peter is now encouraging the believers to confirm our calling and election. He says in verse 10 and 11, 
Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. How does one confirm our calling and election? For one, it, could, it is by the diligent application of our faith in bearing fruit, in producing the qualities that Peter has talked about. As these qualities that are, um, as these qualities become evident in our lives, we ourselves are given the confidence of our calling and election. And not only does it do that, but it also keeps us from going astray. Romans 8.29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be confirmed to the image of his Son. God's purpose has never been to just save us from the penalty of our sins, but also to confirm us to his image, that we partake of the divine nature. Now being diligent is not only a confirmation of our calling and election, but it is a road that leads to a rich entrance into the kingdom of God. Peter uses that or the expectation of a rich entrance into the kingdom of God where we are face to face with God himself as an encouragement to the believers in order to work hard, in order to apply the faith and uh, produce the qualities that we have seen earlier. Now, here's the question then that we should ask. What effort am I putting to grow in the qualities that we looked at earlier? Are we growing in moral excellence? Are we growing in the knowledge of God, self-control, patience, godliness, love amongst the believers and love for everyone that is around us? Let us remember that if these qualities are ours and are increasing, then we are kept from going astray. And finally, we are led into the, a rich entrance into the kingdom of God. But if they are missing and we don't really care about it, then it speaks of the condition of our own hearts. So let us strive, considering the fact that it is God's divine power that works in us, that it is the knowledge of God that has been given to us. Let us strive hard, keeping our eternal lives in, in, in view and then be able to say with Paul that I have fought, fought the good fight, I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. Let us summarize, let me summarize by listing the things that we've looked at today and then close. First, we saw that to those who have placed their trust in Jesus, we've been granted a faith by the righteousness of God. Then we saw how the knowledge of God is central in grace and peace being multiplied in our lives. And not only that, but in, uh, not only that, but for God's divine power to be active in our lives. And then we saw that though we've been granted all of this, though we've been, though we've been granted all of this, it, we still have the responsibility to work hard to grow in maturity. And then we saw how the presence of these seven qualities that Peter has listed keeps us from being ineffective to lead lives that are unfruitful. It keeps us from that. Um, whereas the absence of those qualities shows that we are really blind to God's grace. We saw how practicing of these qualities also helps us to confirm our own calling and election. 
and also keeps us from going astray. Finally, Peter encourages us that as we do all of this, as we apply our faith, we also look forward to a rich entrance into the kingdom of God. Thank you for patiently listening to me and I will close by praying. Father, it humbles us to know that we've been granted faith and not only faith, uh, we've been granted all things that are needed for life and for godliness. Your divine power works in our lives and it works through the knowledge of God. Help us to remember the central place of uh, the knowledge of God, the value of knowing you and walking with you. And I pray that each one of us, for each one of us, that we would not take this grace that has been given to us for granted, that we would work hard to apply this faith diligently and to uh, produce the qualities that we saw today. I pray, O oh Father, that we would desire to not live lives that are ineffective or unfruitful, but lives that, <clears throat> that bring you glory, lives that are led in godliness. Father, I pray that as we do all of this, our eyes would be on eternal life where we can see you and be with you. We thank you, Lord, for this Sunday once again that we are able to meet in this manner and we pray that your word might live in us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.